right, guys, turn to Genesis 37. Last week we talked about the pride test. And what, what I just want to ask you, and I jotted down some things. What do y'all remember about that? What kind of stuck with you about the pride test? Uh, things of that nature. What did, what did we learn? What did you learn last week? What did you glean from that last week? All right. What else? It's hard to overcome. There's more to it than just being prideful, boastful. You can have pride in other ways other than just saying it, saying, look at me, look at me, how great I am. All right. What else? These are some things I, I'm sorry. It's got, it's got consequences. It's got consequences. You know, and, and, and Leo brought up an outstanding question because I, I'm, I'm kind of. I kind of defend Joseph. You remember Leo asked, what was that question, Joseph? Was it, Leo, you said something to the effect of, you know, I... No, but I mean, you know, I was kind of doubting this guy's perspective about Joseph. You know, kind of kind of questioning his, if, did Joseph really have pride? You know, something along those lines. But then when you think, he's dead young 17. If you go back and listen to his sermon when he preaches this, he keeps looking at his, his audience and say, do you remember seventeen? Yeah, I'm an idiot. Who's not at seventeen? So I don't I think it's implied or understood that you know at seventeen Joseph probably was struggling with some things. You know, uh, about just being in Degum immature. And he does say that. He said we gotta give him some slack because he, he's seventeen. Who's mature at seventeen? You know, I don't know anybody. I know some that's more mature at 17 than others. And then, you know, but I mean, really, you just got to take that word at face value. These are some things I jotted down. What did we learn last week? I, I remember, I learned that Joseph at 17 had a dream from God. Remember him talking about that? And then he stepped into his destiny at 30. Remember us talking about that? So for 13 years between 17 and, and, and 30, he was, a, he was a slave, sold into slavery, and he was a slave in, uh, in Egypt. And in the 30s, when he, when he started, he went to Potiphar's house. And then I think next week's the palace test, and the week after that's the purity test. Uh, the purity test and the palace test are really good. And then before we go any further, I really have, I've, I've struggled with this because the guy, when he preaches, Robert Morris preaches a great sermon about it. I had a hard time kind of jotting down on, on, on the ideas that I that really got me. I mean, and then then I, I woke up at four o'clock this morning, so I, I, I go upstairs and get me a shower and I sit down in my office up there. And I'm listening to to the sermon, and right at the end, it kind of it kind of came together this morning. So I hope at the end it, it does for y'all as well. But anyway, pride is in the heart. Y'all remember that. The source of pride, because we remember we read that Bible verse, whatever's in the heart comes out of the mouth, basically. You remember that? And he says, you remember him talking about the root of pride. Y'all remember that? And we talked about, I told y'all when we started last week, the blessing, I love criminal minds, cold case files, the, the, the real life ones where these guys profile these people and they figure out why they do what they do, 
You remember why are people prideful? Remember us talking about that? Y'all remember the, the, the root is insecurity? You remember that? Why do people try to draw, draw attention to themselves? They want constant confirmation. And then, then, we, then we talked about Jesus when Satan came up to him, you remember? And tempted him three times in the wilderness. And he said, remember the question Satan asked Jesus out of the gate? If you are the Son of God, and how did Jesus so secure in his, in his relationship with his father, didn't have to defend that he was the son of Jesus, son of God. He just went, it is written, it is written, it is written. He didn't even acknowledge that. And then we're going to see another way that Satan today in this lesson, how Satan takes things and manipulates them. Now, it's really, I never thought about what we talked about, what I'm talking about now, the last week in, in the, in the, the situation that, that Satan does to us today. Uh, and the last thing, I, everyone has a dream, job, or something to do from God. We're not just saved and knock it in neutral. We're not. We're not. If we're in neutral, myself, and from da John David all the way to Dawson, if you're in neutral, you're, you're, you're wrong. And I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm talking to myself because I get in neutral a lot. I need to knock it out of neutral and get it in first. That's my daddy, would you say, and grandma at least. And uh, I love what Mar says in his sermon, and we'll kind of talk about it in a minute. I'll bring it back up. But, so let's read 37 uh, verses 12 through 24. And I brought this Bible today. This is, this is my favorite one. Uh, and the reason it's my favorite, my grandmother in 1985 gave me $50 for Christmas. And I went and bought, we got it right there, January the 6th, 1986. I bought with grandmother's Christmas money. So I've had this Bible for, what is that, 30, 35 years? So, uh, and it, it's New King James. And I, I, it had a lot of stuff in it that, that it's not as updated as some of them, not, not about the word, but I mean about the resources in it and whatever. But this is one of my favorite. I keep this at the house. But I've got some stuff written in the back that's why I brought this that's so important about today's. It goes along with today's lesson. All right, 12 through 24. And then his brothers went to feed their father's flock in Shechem. And Israel, which is Jacob, this time now God's changed his name to Israel, said to Joseph, Are, you not, your, uh, are not your brothers feeding the flock in Shechem? Come and I will send you to them. So he said to them, said to him, Here I am. And when he said to him, Please go and see if it is well with your brothers and well with the flocks, and bring back word to me. So he sent him out of the valley of Hebron and went and he went to Shechem. Before we go any further, this is just a little side note. Two questions. Why was Joseph not with his brothers? This is a pretty valid question about today's lesson. He was the youngest. He's 17, though. That's not a child. My mother and dad married at 17. My dad's in the dang 11th grade. <laughs> I don't know, man. I don't know what my grandma and granddad were thinking. <laughs> uh, yeah, my mother was 17. But why do you think he was not out there hooked up? Watching the flock. Was he concerned that his brothers 
jealous of him and trying to kind of protect him? I think he was pampering him. Oh. Pampering him and protecting him. Because we know what's going to happen, right? We know the story. Second question. Why did he send him out? Because Robert Morris brings out a pretty good point. Now, we're talking about Reuben. We're going to talk a good bit about Reuben at the very end. Reuben is the oldest. Leah is his mother, if I remember correctly. He's probably in his 40s. A man 40 years old don't know what he's doing if he's got a career. Don't you think? A man 40 could have just had about 20 years. At these guys' age, he's probably got 25 or 30 years in tending sheep. Do you think Joseph needs to go out there at 17 and help him and tell him what to do? So why did Jacob send him out there, you reckon? He worried about they weren't the right place to do the right thing. He's older still. Okay. What else? Kind of, kind of, Morris seems to think he's probably trying to build a rapport with him. Hey, go out. You know. Hey, man, y'all doing all right today? Dad just, Daddy just wanted me to come check on you. So I'm going to go on back to the air. <laughs> that would go over like a lead balloon, would it? Yeah. I mean, you see why the brothers wanted to beat the crap out of him, kill him, basically. You know, y'all, y'all boys, you know. Y'all take that cold and that sleep. I'm going to go on back to the fire, you know, or the heat. And I'm going to go on back to the AC. Let's keep reading. Verse 14. And then he said to him, please go and see. I'm going to be over 15. I'm sorry. Now a certain man found him there. And he was wandering in a field. How about that? You ever notice that? Morris says he just he finds that very interesting. We know he says he knows Joseph was a dreamer. He said, I really think he might have been a daydreamer. What is he doing wandering in the fields? He lost his goose in a hailstorm. You know, he just not know where he's going. You know, pretty interesting look. I don't think he did. I don't think he did either. Because he ain't been out there, Tommy. He don't know yet. what to do. He's not yet. You know, what John David and Hogan do when something goes wrong at their house, what they call me. I know a little bit more. You know what? I miss calling my daddy. Because my daddy knows way more about stuff than I do. You know? He didn't know Jack. You know? And, uh, and he said, the man asked him, saying, what are you seeking? Verse 16. So he said, I am seeking my brother, brothers. Please tell me where they are feeding their flock, flocks. And the man said, they have departed from here. I heard them say, let's go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them in Dothan. Listen, to, look at this. He says, now when they saw him afar off, even before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. So they were already laying the dang groundwork. Even before, Daddy didn't call up and say, hey, I'm going to send your brother out there take care of him for a day to send his butt back. He didn't do that. They were already talking about it. And then he looked up and see, that's the kind of mentality these cats had toward their brother. Don't ever forget that. Don't forget that. And he says, inspired uh, in verse 19, and they said to one another, look, this dreamer's coming. And uh, literally means in this Bible here translated dreamer, master of dreams. I think Joseph might have been a little artistic 
you know, come therefore, let let us know know how. Uh, come therefore, let us now kill him and cast him into some pit. Here's the pit, first time. And we shall say, some wild beast has devoured him, and we shall see what will become of his dreams. But Reuben, here we are with Reuben, heard it and delivered him out of their hands and said, let us not kill him. And Reuben said, said to them, shed no blood, but cast him into the pit the second time, the pit test now, which is in the wilderness, and do not lay a hand on him. That he, This is Reuben's motivation. He didn't, you know, he's the oldest. He should have stood up and said, boys, we ain't know. Ain't nobody dying here today now. Unless it's me after y'all take my life. I can't stand the joker, but we ain't killing him. We're not killing him. Reuben didn't have, but he was going to sneak back and get it. You know, <clears throat> and that's what he says here. That he might deliver him out of the hands and bring him back to his father. 23 and 24. And it came to pass when Joseph had tried to come to his brothers, when he had come to his brothers, that they stripped uh, Joseph of his tunic and the tunic of many colors that was on him. And they took him out and cast him into the pit. And the pit was empty and there was no water in it. Three things, three three points here today. The, uh, the position test. The position of the, of the pit. How do we get into pits in our lives? How did Joseph get into this pit? He was casting. All right. Or got thrown into forced into it. Well, he was it. thrown into it. What else? I think it was a combination of Joseph. I think he's being 17, like Leo brought out last week, and being just immature and having some old crusty guys, his brothers. These cats have been hanging out in that cold and heat, and I mean, for 25 or 30 years. You know. They like steel workers, man. It ain't, it ain't. As my daddy would say, they don't have a Sunday school language. You know, it's, they're rough. And they're tough. And they bar fight. You know, if there's disputes, they sell it like you ought to do it. We don't kill each other. We go out fighting. And whoever whoops the other one gets his way, you know. They're just tough guys. So we get, into, we get thrown into the pits. Some of the pits are... Our own making. What are some other ways we get in the field? I jot down what are the circumstances around that gets us in the field? Look and see. How did Job get in his pit? Don't answer that. We're going to come back to that. What's the first thing that we do when we get in the pit? Look for a way out. Look for a way out. Yeah, start. I call that belly ache. Woe is me. I have I have self pity. If I can't get out real quick, all these other things come. I believe. You know, self pity. Who am I going to blame? You know, <coughs> what else? What else do we do? I think that's at the very end of being in it. Don't you think, Leo? Is that the first thing we do? 
I don't. Now, there are times. Now, when I was the principal at Hatton Elementary School, that's what I tried to do the first time. We're going to come back to that. Hang on to that. I jotted down, asked to get out, blame someone or something. Could it be how we react to a situation gets us into a pit? I hear guys, John Davis High School baseball coach, after I resigned and became the principal, I said, he said, well, I got a guy I can play, you know. They, they, got the, they go to these showcases. And I told Bates up there one day, I said, I don't care what they do in a showcase. I don't see how that guy goes over for four with three strikeouts. I don't see what he does next game. That tells me all I need to know about that kid. I want to see how they react. I don't need a front runner. I need that guy. Alabama almost came back yesterday. I quit. I told Stan while going. I told John Doe. He's at home up here watching. He quit watching. He's like me. Alice says I'm terrible. Brace it down, man. I'll punt it and go watch something else. You know. Hogan and them got down yesterday down there four to nothing before they ever came to bat. Three to nothing his game, two to nothing his game in the first inning, second game Friday night, three to nothing. Yesterday, four to nothing before they ever stepped to the plate. Then they come in, told me a lot about them yesterday. They come back in and scored six or seven in the bottom of the first. I want to see how you react. All right. Could it be how we react gets us in a field? Think about this. Uh, and then I jotted under that. Is that tied to blaming others? Is how we react determine how long we stay in the pit? You know, just it's some things to think about. And I jotted down. Remember to ask up to five times how. Why I'm in this pit? Ask five times. Let's just look at Joseph. Now let's look at Lot. I've got it down. Lot as an example. What happened to Lot? What happened to Lot's family? His wife turned to a pillar of stone, and he had two daughters that got him drunk and had sex with him and had kids. A little incest going on. So poor old Lot. Think back. Why did that happen? Well, Lot was in the wrong city, or Paris city, but I guess it was the twin cities, not Minneapolis, St. Paul. Well, why? How? Well, he was in the wrong city. It wasn't Lot's fault. Well, no. How did Lot end up at Sodom and Gomorrah? He made the decision. Oh, see what I'm talking about? See what I'm talking about? I told them I was going to use this. Alabama got beat by three points yesterday. And John David, after the game, he called me. And I knew he called right when the game was over. He called us. Did Herb Jones get fouled on that next last? He said, oh, daddy, he got hammered. Or the last possession went through Stan. He said, he got fouled. I said, Stan? And I'm not on, picking on Stan. I said, but you know, I looked at John. I said, hey, man, what did they shoot from the foul line? 12 for 21. She 50% from the foul. You got no business griping a belly ache about that last call. If you do what you're supposed to do from the foul line, shoot 80%. You say you shot 20 free throws, 80%. You know what we're talking about? 16 free throws. Oh, they win by one. They got beat by three. 
Oh, two dunks and the layup before the foul, the possession before we stand out talking about. Now, you can go back and look. I, that's why when I coach basketball, of course, we were good enough for me to be screaming at referees a lot. But that, you know, if you'll stand back, there's a lot my team does that could help us win other than Curly and Moe refereeing the game. Umpiring the game. You see what I'm saying? So if you get really down to it, Alabama got beat because of free throws, two dumps, and a layup. That's uh, oh easy in a three-point game. They win by five on the road against a ranked team. So it ain't the it ain't the last call. It ain't the last call. So just just remember those things. So. When you get in that pit, step back and let's figure out why we're there. And I jotted this down. Not all pits are self-inflicted, but some are. Somebody answer me. This is why I brought this about. I jotted this down in the back. Somebody said, why do people, why do good things happen to bad people? That's the eternal question, is it not? I thought God was a good God. Why do bad things happen? Well, I, you know, I've never done nothing. Why do bad things, why did something bad happen to Joe? He was a righteous man. He wasn't perfect by any stretch, but he was a godly man. Why, why did that happen? I got six reasons here, and I know there's more. Why do bad, why bad things happen to good, quote unquote, good people? First of all, there are no good people. Don't ever forget that. He talks in his sermon about John 3, 17. He said, God did not send Jesus into the world to condemn the world. He said, you know why God don't condemn us? He convicts us of sin. You know why he don't condemn us? Because when we were born, we were condemned to begin with. He don't need to come in and condemn us. We were already condemned. So what does that tell you? There's no good people. You might think you're good, but my measuring stick is not David Holloman or Leo or Woody or Coach Snyder. My measuring stick is Jesus. Now, I might be good or bad compared to these cats. I'm not good compared to any of them to begin with. But really, compared to the real measuring stick, I'm a failure. So don't ever forget that. Six reasons why good things happen to bad people, or good, bad things happen to good people. So God can work a miracle. John 9, 3. Y'all remember that story? They walk up. The disciples ask Jesus, did this man sin or did his parents? I think he'd been blind for 38 years. You remember what Jesus said to him? So that the Son of Man can be exalted. That guy suffered for 38 years so Jesus could walk up and heal him. I think it's blindness. Heal him of his blindness. Bam. And he get honor and praise. Sometimes we go through there so we can point the finger at God to sustain us to deliver us so he can be exalted. Don't ever forget that one. That's number one. Now, I, ain't, I, ain't, I don't want to be that dude for 38 years, okay? But that happens. All right. Not to be exalted above measure. Y'all remember that one? Paul and thorn in the flesh. Why did Paul get the thorn in the flesh? Satan, the enemy, buffeted him. 
so you wouldn't get the big head. Number three, that's in Second uh, Corinthians 2, 7 to 12, 7 through 10. Punishment for sin, that's just throughout the Bible. I mean, we don't even need a verse on that. To be an empathizer to others, Job. How much comfort has Job provided? Job's the oldest book in the Bible chronologically, age-wise. How much comfort has Job brought to people through the years? Think about it. Number five, spread God's news of salvation. Why do bad things happen to good? The ultimate, Jesus, the perfect one. He got beat to death, hung on a cross, and died to bring salvation. We might suffer sometimes, so others might be saved. God uses that tool at times. Last one, bring clarity to your life. Psalm 119, 71. You know what David says in 119? I am glad that I have suffered afflictions so that I might know your statutes. Go read it. I'm telling you, it's in there. 119 is my favorite chapter. It's the longest chapter in the Bible. It's my favorite. It's where David just kind of lays it out there, man. And he told the Lord God Almighty, I'm glad I went through all this so I would know your statutes. All right? Coach, now my, my nephew got killed right out here, right up the road here between here and where Woody turns in. There's a sign on that pole down there. I'm sure Woody sees it all the time. Really flat, right? Yeah. I have to name you five or six kids. You got seven. Now, I'm a, am I a fan of how that had to happen? Heck no. I know my brother. My brother told me when he said, I'll never be a granddad. as his own child. I got one going to be here less than six, eight weeks probably. You'll never have that joy. You know, it's just tough. Those things are tough. Yes. So when we get to this point, do, do some soul searching. That's why I'm in the pit. Ask God to reveal the reason. God, why am I where I'm at? And God will show us. He'll show us. Why did, uh, why did, in your opinion, did Joseph end up in this pit? I think he ended up in there because he had a bad relationship with his brother. I think his brothers hated him. Now, there's some ramifications and some impl implications from the relationship with us and some cause and effects there. I think he was 17, you know. Can you imagine being 35 
having a 10 year old little brother. That joke man be wearing you to death. Hey, 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 can I ride with you? Hey, you going to the store? Hey, give me, you know, get away from me, man. Hey, can I ride on your date? Hey, no, get out of here. You know, I think, you know, some of that immaturity and daddy gave him a coat, didn't give the others. You know, there's some, some, some other things going on. All right, number two. I jotted a David maybe puffed up a little, told of the dreams. He, he ran his mouth about it. He bragged a little bit about the dreams. Uh, and there's some, some it's, uh, immaturity. Roman number number two, the perspective of the pit. The position, why are we here? Why, why, how did we get to this point? What, you know, what, what God showed me. Second one is perspective. Whose perspective should we seek when we are in the pit? We should see God's perspective, right? We should go to Him, God. Charles Stanley always says, when you get when troubles come, I always ask, God, what are you trying to teach me? Because nothing is happenstance. Nothing is happenstance. There's no I don't believe in luck. I just don't believe it. I don't think anything. I don't think you're lucky. You might get a, a, a good bounce. You know, you might. I just don't. I don't believe in it. So just ask him. Go get his perspective. Who, without fail, shows up when we are in the pit? Who? I mean, who? When it gets bad, when it gets tough, who rolls in? Without fail, every time. God does. But we don't always listen to Him. Who else shows up? The enemy. Can y'all can y'all testify to that? When it's just like a piling on, man. You got tackled, you got smoked. You got lit up, and you're looking out that ear hole, and you know, and before you know it, you, 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 you're idle. You got you got tagged, but you didn't go down. And then here comes the smokes you again, man. And then there's about three knuckleheads over there that pile on, and flags are flying. I mean, they've crucified them. You know, that's how the enemy does. I jot down. He beats on you. He makes accusations. He tries to condemn. And then he tells us lies. Well, you know why this happened. You know why this happened. And he'll create circumstances. Let me read this. This is what I was talking about a while ago. He creates circumstances to, to quote unquote prove his lies. Now, that's not true, but you know what I'm being facetious there. Page 37 here. Let me read what uh, Morris wrote because I find it very interesting. He said, it is important to understand this. Because the enemy is very deceptive, he will not only tell you a lie, he will also fabricate evidence to support his lies. Don't ever forget that. It will, he will make it seem what's out there is truth. We're going to get to it. He said, this is how he was able to get Joseph's father to believe that the lie that Joseph was dead. Was dead. Y'all turn to page 37, look at verses 31, 32, and 33. If you don't, if you think Satan don't use situations to uh, manipulate, 
to quote unquote prove his lie. Listen, read, follow along with me. So they took Joseph's tunic, killed a kid of the goats, and dipped the tunic in the blood. And then they sent the tunic of many covers, colors, and they brought it uh, to the father and listen to what they said. We have found this. Do you know whether it's your son's tunic or not? And he, jo, uh, Jacob says, and he recognized and he said, it is my son's tunic. A wild beast has devoured it. I devoured him. And without doubt, Joseph is torn to pieces. Now, did these knucklehead 11 brothers come in there and say, yeah, Joseph killed. Did they say that? So how did Joseph get to that conclusion? He's put one to one together and come up with three, right? So you need to step back and look a little bit. Let me read a couple more sentences here because he says here, the brothers didn't actually tell their father, Robert Morris, say, that Joseph had been devoured by wild animals. Instead, they, he, they created a false evidence and then asked their father a misleading question. Hey, is this your son's coat? Joseph, Joseph believed, or Jacob rather, believed the evidence, and he jumped to the conclusion that his son was dead. Out of his own mouth, Joseph said, Jacob, I want to keep you confused there. Jacob said, My son has been killed by wild animals, but it was a lie. And he believed that lie for 20 years. He brings out a point here. Can you imagine being them 11 brothers? This is how. Sorry, these cats are. I don't know what your relationship is with was with your dad if he's still alive. Mine's dead. But they would go to bed at night, and their daddy in the same house. Morris says he, 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 I'm sure he embellishes it, crying himself to sleep because Jacob Joseph was his favorite, knowing that that Joker was alive, and they just ball faced lied to him. For 20 years, they didn't own up to it. That's how sorry these 11 jokers are. They need to have their tail canes, what they need. Tied to a whipping post with a, with a cane pole and just, I'm talking about just so I can't breathe. Of course, now I do too. I thought about how could, how cold-hearted are the brothers for 22 years to let Jacob bleed his son was dead. How cold-hearted, man. And then you go, when they finally get back to him at the end there, you know, we know the story. When they're starving to death out there, and, 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 and Israel, Joseph, Jacob sends, sends his 11 brothers to Egypt to get some food. What were they afraid of when they, when it they, when really hit the pain? Y'all remember? God, he's going to kill us when daddy dies. Man, I tell you, you're talking about Joseph's a way better dude than me. He might have been immature at 17, but I don't know how old it is. Now. I ain't got to that part yet. But when, they, when, when Jacob dies, Joseph's a way better dude than I ever thought about. Now, I wouldn't have killed him, but I'd have said, boys, y'all got to go. Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm going to give you a little devil in here. Y'all going to have to hook up. I'm not just giving you. I'd have been a sorry joke. Joseph, millions times better than me. And we know what he says there. 
Y'all, man, he's talking to his brother. Y'all, man, it's in chapter 50. I think it's verse 22 off the top of my head, but I know it's chapter 50. He looks at his brothers and he says, Y'all, man, if we're evil, but God, man, if we're good. That kind of goes back to that suffering business we talked about a while ago. God had a plan. God get the glory. Joseph is giving it to God like the blind guy at the gate in the New Testament. I probably need to write that example in my back of my Bible. All right. How do we combat the lies of the enemy? So if, if we know he's a liar and, my, and, and the father of lies, and Satan is a is threefold, his job description, his objective is threefold. He comes to kill, steal, and destroy. That's in the Bible. That's what his objective is. So if he wants to destroy you, kill you, or steal your joy, how do you combat that? How do you combat that? When he comes, now he's coming. He's coming. He may be there. He hangs out with me about half the time, I feel like. How do I combat him? How do you combat him? How do you combat those lies? You gotta rely on God's word. You go back to the truth. I've heard multiple preachers. I mean, the first one I heard we talked about was Jeff Shreve while three or four years ago over here when we were still you know over there at the church. And he kept talking about feelings. Fear. You kick him, you kick him feelings and then emotions to the curb. You go with the truth. What does the Bible say about the truth? What will it do to you? Set you free. What happens when I get all tore up? I get my mind gets to wandering. I get to thinking. I get to pondering. The enemy comes in and, hey, man, have you thought about this? Hey, man, have you thought about that? What I need to do is go back to what does this say? Is this solid, man? I struggle with it. I'm not hammering y'all. I'm hammering me, man. I'm telling you what I have to do, what I need to do, and what I fail at a lot. Number three, and I'm almost finished. I know it's getting late. We had the position, and then we had the, <clears throat> what was the other one? Perspective. I get the yakking, and I keep getting Here's the purpose of the pit. What is the real purpose for pits in our life? What does God want us to do when we're in a pit? Turn to Him. Cry out to Him. Cry out to God. You know how we know that? What did Jonah do in the belly of the fish? Let me read it. Jonah 2, that's page 40. Uh, Jonah 2, verses 1 and 2. Listen to what Jonah did. This is after he's in the belly of the fish. And then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the belly of the fish. And he said, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction. And he answered me out of the belly of Sheol. I cried, and you heard my voice. So when you get down there, what are we to do? You know what Charles Stanley says? He says it's a two-word prayer. God help. He said that's pretty sufficient. God help. John David and Hogan shouldn't come to daddy. Daddy can't do everything. They need to go to the Lord. And in the immortal words of my Hogan, he's got it for sure. He can handle it. 
He's not overwhelmed. He's not bumped over. He's got it. Jonah gave us a cry out to him, man. It's all right. It's all right. Get in the truck, ride down the road. God help me. I've, I've got to holler. It's, it's, I've done it. There's no shame in that. You know why? God already knows that's how you feel. So you ain't hiding nothing from him. God, I don't understand. Please help me. God help. And I, you know, when my mother would call me at two in the morning, go over and get my daddy out of the floor, out of the yard or something. All the way over. I, I probably say it 50 times before I got to it. five miles. You know. Because I would be bump puzzled. I would be dismayed. I'd be idled mentally and emotionally. Sheol, Jonah mentioned Sheol. Out of the belly of Sheol, I cried and you heard my voice. You know what that that word means in the Old Testament? P-I-T. Ain't that cool? Jonah was in the pit. What did he do? He cried out. What do you do when you get in the pit? We cry out. All right, redemptive from the pit. Redemption from the pit that Joseph was in. And this is this is where I, 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 I got this this morning about 4.30. Lord laid it on my heart. It kind of kind of made the lesson kind of just like so much better to me. Because I, I couldn't figure out, of course, now you got to remember, I'm pretty dang simple. I'm from Spring Valley, so you know that. If you ain't ever been there, you look, this, is, this is Spring Valley, all right? It don't get no better than this. I might be one of the brightest. Who knows? That ain't saying a whole Remember this fact, page 42. Let me read it. Remember Joseph's brothers hadn't really wanted to throw him in the pit? Their original plan was to kill him. You remember that? They were devising that before they saw him coming, and they recognized him, Morris says, for that blind coat. He said, Joseph and coats in tunics. He said, I believe if I was Joseph, I'd have never wore another. What happened in Potiphar's house? What did he leave behind? He said, it looked like every time he put a coat on, he got in trouble. You know, <laughs> well, not all his fault, but, you know, he's kind of cracking a little joke, but he left it behind. He said, but remember that they recognized him, but they were already conspiring to kill him because they hated him. And he said, their original plan was to kill him, but Joseph's older brother, Reuben, inter- intervened. Look at verse 22. And Reuben said to them, Shed no blood, cast him into the pit, which is in the wilderness, and do not lay a hand on him, that he might deliver him out of their hands and bring him back to his father. That was that was Reuben's motive. He said, now, if anyone had a right to be jealous of Joseph, it was Reuben. Why is that? He's the oldest. Now, he should have been the chosen one. We know Jacob... <coughs> What did Jacob do to his older brother? Screwed him out of his birthright, right? Lied to his daddy. Boy, ain't it funny how you reap what you sow? More than you sow and later than you sow. Bam, bam, bam. Every time, man. David Harold Isbell, you reap what you sow. I need to tell myself that every day. And he says here, but now if anyone had the right to be jealous of Joseph, it was Reuben. Because Reuben was the firstborn son. And the firstborn was the one of whom the honor should have rested, not number 11, because Joseph's got a little brother, younger brother. 
But Reuben gave up that honor for Joseph's sake. In this situation with Joseph, Reuben had two purposes as the firstborn son. He wanted to deliver Joseph, and he wanted to bring him back to his father. I've gone over this three or four times. Why is it important that we realize what Reuben did for his little brother? Even though he was part of the conspiracy to begin with, but then he stepped back and he settled down, got his panties out of a wad. Hey, man, we don't need to kill him because that's, that, that's, that's like the ultimate. Let's just put him in the pit and leave him. Out of sight, out of mind. Why is it important that he was going to go back and get him? Why is it important as the firstborn son to remember that? Because he justified his father's actions by not selecting him. He said, well, that's the reason I didn't know that. He could have said in his mind, well, that's the reason I didn't give all this to the firstborn anyway, because he wasn't worthy of it. He's kind of proven himself. Even though he didn't get the, the accolades of being the firstborn and all the things that go along with it, he still did the right thing. His character showed. He partially did. I think he wanted to be a little braver, but I don't think he had the hair on his very end to do it. I think he was afraid of them other ten. Or probably nine out there. Little brother was back at the house. I just, and Morris brings out here that the Old Testament really happened, but it casts shadows of the New Testament. It gives examples of what happens in the New Testament. Foreshadow. Thank you, Woody. I went blank. Reuben represents Christ, the firstborn of all creation. And if you don't think that's the case, Colossians 1.15 says this. Talking Paul writes this. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. What did Reuben do as the firstborn of Jacob? What did he do for Joseph? Saved his life. Firstborn over all creation, what did he do for Woody Bell? Or Billy Snyder? Or David Isbell? He saved our life. You see how it's a foreshadow? It's a shadow of things to come, the Old Testament. This is where it get me. God didn't leave Joseph in the pit. He will not leave us. How do we know this? How do we know that God didn't leave him in the pit? Psalm 16, 20 says this. For you will not leave my soul in Sheol, what do we say in the Old Testament Sheol was? The pit. Nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. This is a Masonic prophecy about Jesus. A prophecy that is fulfilled. God did not leave His only Son in the pit. Now you know He went there three days. But God didn't leave Him. And then Marsh writes, and He will not leave you in the pit either. I don't know how it gets any better now. Hey, man, I've been in that pit. I know y'all have. That crap ain't fun. And we may be in that pit to the day we die. I don't know. 
But once we step in and we see Jesus have pit be gone, you know what I'm saying? The weird thing, one good thing about that is you know ain't got to ever step back in that jump. There ain't no 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 way of getting too close. If somebody bump you in there, they can't shove you in it. They can't pick you up, chunk you in it. Because when you see when you see Jesus, now that pit's gone. And you know God's word says He will not leave you there. He didn't leave Joseph. He didn't leave Jesus. And he ain't going to leave us. Now, we may stay there longer than we want to. I have yet. Maybe. Maybe. And I told y'all last week, you know, Allison and I were listening to this coming back from Hogan's game last week. And she got upset. This is why. There's a promise right there. It's a great promise. So when the enemy comes up and says, man, you know, you're never going to get better. Well, crap, my Bible says otherwise. I rebuke that in the name of the Lord God Almighty. Because <clears throat> I got the truth, dude. Big dog. I got the truth. And we already said it sets you free. Does anybody got anything to add or subtract? Now let's go to the Lord in prayer with you. God, thank you for this day. Thank you for this series of sermons here that Morris and we're going through, God, because it's just you you just talking to me. Directly. And God, I really appreciate it. the hope. You didn't leave Jesus and Chio in the pit. You're not going to leave us. You got to help me to hold on to that at times because I need it. Well, God, I thank you for Jesus. I thank you for answering prayers. I thank you for being in charge. And I thank you for loving me. And God, I thank you for these guys. And God, I pray for these prayer requests, Lord, and we're going to lay them at your feet. And I thank you for Dalton and Woody and Jim who take care of things. And God, it gets, us, gets all this information out, different, gives us a place to have information. And God, I just really appreciate it. Lord God, I want, again, I want to thank you for Jesus Christ. I want to ask these things in your sweet, precious name.